Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I just wanted to take a quick second to talk about Anchor. If you're looking to start a podcast and you haven't heard of Anchor, it's definitely the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Galatson, and I am once again joined today by my good friend, uh, John Garcia. He is the uh, head of recruiting, more or less, over at, over at uh, Sports Illustrated, and he's the, the publisher of SIL American. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. Um, not as good as uh, the teams you cover. My goodness, it's been a busy, uh, busy couple of days. Yeah, I mean, it's really been a busy couple of weeks. You know, we had the the uh the whole texas and oklahoma to the sec thing and now we're having a bunch of recruiting stuff going on pool parties at both schools so it's 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 been wild uh and you've been pretty busy yourself you know you you've you've been releasing your uh your positional players to watch and your rankings your team rankings and all that stuff and just recently you released your uh your si 99 rankings so why don't you uh why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that and and uh and we'll jump right into that yeah, Matt, you know, when, when, when we took on this project to, to build the SI All-American brand, it was really about using the Sports Illustrated name to focus on the very best. And I think the essence of that mission is the SI 99 rankings for football and for basketball. So we, we did the preseason release on Wednesday, uh, and it is what it sounds like. It's the top 99 college football prospects in the country as determined by our staff at SI and SI All-American. We do things a little bit differently, I think, than, than some of the traditional recruiting outlets. We really value the floor. We really value position projection. We don't list athletes. We list what we think they're actually going to play uh, at the next level. So we list slot receivers, nickel defensive backs, edge rushers. Uh, we do things you know, kind of on our own tune. Uh, and, and we put a lot of work and, and effort into identifying the 99 best in the country based on the floor. But Sometimes you can't ignore that strong ceiling either. So I think we have a nice combination of each represented in the 99. Texas is well represented. 15 Lone Star State prospects made the cut, tied for Florida with most in the country, to, to the surprise of probably no one. Um, and, and obviously, um, UT and AM will be battling for a lot of these guys. So uh, one just came off the board. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But uh, we feel really good about, about that 99, a lot of uh, variety in there, a lot of prospects who have yet to make decisions. So there's still a lot to be said with that list. And of course, there's a group that's right on the cusp that we're watching very closely as these senior seasons ramp up uh, here this fall. So really excited to get that list out, but uh, we're immediately sort of uh, beginning the tweak as soon as these games begin. Yeah. And, you know, Texas had, I, I believe two guys, uh, Texas Longhorns have two guys that, that, came in and in your SI 99 rankings uh just give us your a little overview of those two guys I know Malik Murphy's one of them uh I, I we we followed him at elite 11 and he's a fantastic kid and I'm 
uh, I'm really bullish on him. So I'm a little disappointed he wasn't higher, but uh, I, I, I get y'all's formula. So tell us a little bit about those guys. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think Malik Murphy and um, and Mr. Blue, the running back, are really polar opposites as to why they're in the 99. Blue, as as polished a running back as we've evaluated in this cycle, top five running back for us at SI All-American, so advanced and polished with a high floor to the point that he's shutting it down. He's done with his high school career. He's he's seen as, as much as he needs to see. And apparently, uh, so have we, you know, to place him in this 99, because uh, we won't see him again until he suits up for, for the burnt orange. And then Malik Murphy, totally the opposite, right? His, his spring season in California was his first time as the guy, uh, as the starting quarterback for, for Sarah High School uh, out in the, in the Los Angeles area. All the tools you want, 6'5", 230 pounds, huge arm, uh, a great decision maker, a quick decision maker, just lacking that experience. He sat behind a Division One quarterback for the last couple of years, uh, and this spring in the, in the condensed COVID season was really all we got in terms of him being the full-time starter. And there were some ups and downs. There's been some growing pains with Malik Murphy. So you talk about evaluating the floor without forgetting the ceiling. That, that represents those two Longhorn commitments to the T because we need to see a lot more from Malik Murphy to hold off the rest of these quarterbacks that have two, three, even four years experience compared to his real half a year experience. So if there's a prospect in there that is representative of us, uh, you know, unwilling to ignore a strong athletic ceiling, it's Malik Murphy. And obviously we, we've got to, to see him a little bit more at the regional events, at the national events. He absolutely shined at the elite 11. So there's a lot of promise there. We just need to see it translate more on Friday nights, which is still the most important part of, of all of our evaluation. Right. And, you know, he, uh, obviously with Quinn Ewers, uh, skipping his senior season at South Lake and going right to Ohio state, that changes your rankings a little bit. I believe he had come in at number two on your rankings behind Cade Klubnick from Austin. Um, so that pushes Murphy, I believe up to number six, is that correct? Or number seven? Right. Yeah, I think he was eight. Uh, so he bumps up um, because of the Ewers decision. But Murphy would have been in the 99 regardless, top 10 quarterback regardless. Uh, we, we just we can't ignore all those physical tools. Uh, same thing can be said for for Quinn Ewers. You know, he was a guy that was the number two quarterback for us in the rankings. Uh, he was a clear, you know, contender for the Elite 11 pretty much the entire way through. Uh, but doesn't push Murphy very much uh, up the list. You know, number 54 in the country right now, number two among uh, Texas commitments to, to the aforementioned Jaden Blue, who sits at 42 on the preseason list. Now, kind of a spoiler here for, for Longhorn fans, tough, tough to see him move up, right? I mean, how could you have the imagination to see this kid move up if, you know, he's not going to play this fall? So, it would really have to be a, a casualty of other prospects moving down. But but I think Blue is a top 50 player, sort of regardless. He's almost unofficially locked in to that position unless we, we learn more information about the kid because everything is still uh, certainly a data point. Right. And, you know, another SI99 kid that uh, we should probably start to talk about here now is uh, Bryce Anderson. He He announced his decision. Uh, today he he spurned Texas to go with Texas A&M now that doesn't mean the recruiting is necessarily over these things can change all the time he still has an official visit coming to Texas but as of right now he is an Aggie 
uh, talk a little bit about Anderson and, you know, uh, what Texas is missing out on. This is another one in the Malik Murphy camp in terms of the evaluation. It's all about the upside and, and the athletic traits. Big kid, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 180 pounds or so, but just an absolute blazer. I mean, he's, he's sub 10'5", in, in the 100-meter dash at that size, and you really see it on tape uh, despite him playing quarterback, which, which makes position projections very fun. Uh, he, he's a big run first quarterback who really gaps a, a lot of prospects in the state of Texas when he takes off with the football. Not easy to do uh, coming out of uh, Westbrook High School there in Beaumont, which is a pretty talented area uh, in the state of Texas. But Bryce can really pick him up and put him down. He's got the frame and ball skills that makes you think he can translate to the safety position. But just like we talked about with Murphy, not a whole lot of varsity experience playing the position he's going to play at the next level. So I think wide receivers still certainly uh, in the conversation, but I think with the IQ that quarterback comes with, the speed, the physical traits, uh, intellectually thrown on top of that uh, safety just makes a lot more sense, but we haven't seen it in a strong varsity capacity. And I don't think we will the rest of this year, but there's, there's no denying the athletic traits Anderson brings to the table plays good competition and a lot of those instincts that make him a great high school quarterback could make him a great college safety. That's a, that's a transition we've seen uh, quite a bit in the college uh, and really the NFL game as well, just like a basketball player who plays power forward kind of moves over to tight end sort of seamlessly. We've seen a lot of similar progressions from quarterback to safety and quarterback to wide receiver. So I, I think those two avenues are still, on the table for Anderson, but I think uh, safety is, is his best bet. And he's absolutely one of the best in the country. I think he was our number six safety in the rankings. And he's the only one of those six uh, who we don't see playing safety on an everyday basis. Jacoby Matthews is also a quarterback. He was ranked one spot higher, but we have seen a little bit of safety work in the off season uh, with Matthews. We really haven't seen it with Anderson. So you talk about betting on the athleticism. He's, he's one of the better examples in the 99 uh, of how we are still somewhat modernized in our evaluation, although we, we still revert to the floor and, and Friday nights more, more times than not. Right. And, you know, obviously this, this commitment is more than just about um, Texas missing on a kid and A&M getting a talented kid and the athleticism and all that stuff. It's also about, you know, there's more of a macro uh, conversation to this commitment because, you know, this is, Texas and Texas A&M going head to head for a recruit and Texas A&M winning once again. Uh, A&M has for the most part kind of kicked Texas's butt along the recruiting trail for the last, you know, decade or so since their move to the SEC. There has been years where Texas has been up, you know, a little higher than A&M, but for the most part, A&M's been winning a lot of these head to head battles. Texas is starting to close that gap a little bit. But I mean this this kind of seems to me like uh like A&M is kind of flexing their muscles a little bit and saying, Hey, we're still, um, we're still in charge in this state right now. And you guys are, you know, you need to catch us, not the other way around. You're, you know, you're, uh, you're still on the up, you know, on the up and coming slope. One, I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, is it, is, is Texas closing this gap fast enough before they get to the sec? I don't think it'll be fast enough for, <laughs> for pure Texas fans. Uh, fast enough would, would be yesterday in my mind. So I think they're starting to close the gap. I think you had to make the coaching change. You had to go with a recruiter who was more uh, well-rounded nationally. And I think Steve Sarkeesian 
and the staff he brought in is, is going to bring that national approach. Cause look, Texas is a national brand, uh, much more so than AM. So I think you got to place your strengths there, but it doesn't mean you sacrifice the home state, especially when, as we mentioned, the state of Texas has the most SI 99 prospects tied with, with Florida at 15 each. So a third of the 99 is from two states, uh, Florida and Texas. California's up in that top four as well. And we, we, we're seeing more of that flex from Sarkeesian. And I know we'll, we'll talk about uh, the, the new corner commitment in a little bit, but look, this is still A&M State. This is still the school that is more advanced on the football field and in recruiting, which are both important for one another. So I think Texas has a ways to go to get there, but I do think the first few steps have been taken both, you know, on the field with, with the changes in recruiting and obviously with the conference, because that, that selling point that AM has today over Texas will dissipate in the coming years, uh, probably one year, but coming years at the long, at the long point. So uh, that's still very important to prospects. And, and when it's a head-to-head -head battle with a Texas prospect, like with Bryce Anderson, it, it just, it feels that much more important. And AM is still very much winning those battles. Look at the kids who, who AM is going to line up on the field this year. If Haynes King wins the quarterback draw, that entire defensive line, my goodness, you're not only beating Texas for all of those kids, you're beating Alabama and LSU for a lot of those guys with, with the Marvin Leal, Bobby Brown, a bunch of them. So I think all of that is, is still very much relevant and, and it's still tangible and in your face today. And Texas has a lot of work to do to close that gap. But I do think the first step, step and a half has been taken over the last uh, six to eight months. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's other kids too, that they're still going to be competing for in, in these, in these coming weeks, you know, you've got Cam Dewberry, you've got Omari Abor, you've got a whole host of other guys who are going to be making this decision between Texas and Texas A&M, the age old choice in the state of Texas. Um, do you think Texas has a chance at, to, to, to land some of these kids or is A&M just going to wipe the slate and, and you know, uh, and, and dominate this whole process? Hey, well, it won't be that simple, um, mainly because it's the state of Texas and a lot of programs are trying to get in on some of these guys. Uh, Anderson was one of the few that it was kind of isolated to, to you know, one versus one, A&M versus UT or vice versa. But uh, a lot of them, Abor in particular, uh, a guy like Denver Harris. I mean, this is a national type of recruiting situation that's developing with with a lot of these guys even with cam Dewberry. so uh, i think you have to win the state but you know you've got to watch out for the ohio states the clemson's the bamas the usc's the oklahoma's who who have historically picked and prodded throughout throughout the state i mean we all know alabama signed seven texans last year so they're not exactly going to ignore the state with with the longhorns and the the sooners jumping in to the sec if anything it's a reason to double down in the state of Texas. Um, but, but we do think that Texas is, is going to be in the ball game a lot more with, with these prospects. You can kind of see the vision with a lot of them, even Evan and Evan Stewart, who was a decommitment for Texas and a guy that everyone wants. Uh, Florida's got some buzz, but Alabama's in there, LSU's in there, um, you know, the number two slot receiver in the country and the most explosive receiver in the country, not named Travis Hunter to me. Uh, that that gives you that gives you some credit, some credibility to be in the ball game after losing a commitment like that, uh, and, and I think that's that's another mark of of the vision that Sark and crew are selling 
kids can see it. And naturally, given his offensive background, the offensive recruits are going to see it a little bit sooner, uh, which which is kind of a built-in excuse for losing out on on a Bryce Anderson or a Denver Harris, uh, which which it looks like Texas is going to be on the outside looking in for. But offensively, you want to be right there, and, and you may even be even with AM for for certain offensive recruits, which is about as good a situation as you could ask for if, if you're a Texas fan. Yeah, and you know Texas just because they lost Bryce Anderson doesn't mean they've been uh, hurting on the recruiting trail necessarily. They've been they've had a very successful uh, you know few months since Sark took over. They lost Jalen Gilbo uh, who who decommitted um, in in July. Uh, he may still look at Texas. He, he I I think the the um, the odds are on TCU at the moment, but the, you know obviously that could change. There's still a lot to go on there. But Texas did get a commitment from a uh, New Orleans prospect named uh, Ronald Lewis, aka Champ. Um, you know, you had a, you had a chance to go in, down to New Orleans and for a camp, and you got to see him there, and you talked to him. Tell us a little bit about Ronald Lewis and what Texas fans can expect from him. Very interesting addition uh, to to the commitment group. When I when I was there a couple weeks back, he was a Colorado commitment. He was sort of fresh off of that commitment. But even then, he was talking about his visit to Texas. He was talking about getting on the 40 acres. And you kind of got the sense, if UT pulls the trigger with this scholarship offer, this kid might flip. Uh, I think my last question of the interview was, I mean, should Colorado fans be worried? And he, at first he was like, no, but then he kind of talked himself out of it. He was like, well, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But right now I feel pretty good about the buffs. I I just committed, blase, blase. Well you know, that offer came and what, 24 hours went by before he made that verbal commitment. Uh, And he publicly decommitted from from the buffs right before that point. So you you get the impression that Texas still has that allure. Uh, And this isn't a kid from the Midwest or kind of a a podunk town or an unpopulated town. This is a New Orleans kid who's been to LSU a bunch, who's been in the SEC a bunch, who took some big visits uh, you know, when the June window opened, he, he was at TCU, he was at a bunch of places, uh, but that Texas trip clearly stood out to him. Uh, so I think that still says a lot about, again, the national allure of Texas, the draw that that, that program still has, despite the coaching transition, despite the losses, despite the lack of NFL production, despite the, you know, submission to Oklahoma in the Big 12, Texas still does something two prospects in state and out. Uh, so I think that's a really important factor in, in selling the program and looking how the program could, could potentially compete in the SEC, how it could compete with AM uh, and, and other schools like that. Uh, and then on the field, watching, watching Champ at work, pretty impressive. He's a long kid, about 5'11", 6 foot, uh, good straight line speed, but it's the length that really stands out. Very confident in his game. And he wants to challenge you at the line of scrimmage and he could do so with that length. Uh, but what I, what I like about it secondarily is even when he was out of position, the effort was really strong and the desire to get to the catch point was still strong. And that enabled him to make plays on the football, even when he was kind of beat, of course, you don't want to see that. And you want kids to be able to, to just take care of it on the front end of the route but you can't coach that effort and desire and physicality at the end 
of a rep. And that enabled him to grab a couple of interceptions and get his hands and break up a few passes against uh, some pretty talented wide receivers uh, down in the New Orleans area, which is kind of always the case. So uh, a kid who's known and, and come up in that environment, I think is a really positive thing for your competitiveness. It's good for your secondary room. Uh, there's a reason that the, the state of Louisiana is, I believe, still number one in NFL talent production per capita uh, in the United States. It's, it's that Mobile to New Orleans corridor that produces the most NFL talent per capita. I'm not saying that Champ is a Sunday guy yet, but you see why it's just such a fertile recruiting area. And those are the types of outlets you want to reach to if you're Texas when you do go outside of the state. You want to go to New Orleans. You want to go to L.A. You want to go to Atlanta, Miami, uh, you know, the big you know, the DMV, the contention points that have a lot of um, recruits and a lot of battleground recruits to, to go in and, and, and win those. So I think this was big for, for UT on multiple fronts. And at a minimum, you're pulling a prospect away from one school a day after he decommitted and you get them on your commitment list at a priority position like corner, all those things are, are, are important, much more so than a ranking, much more so than uh, just, just the aspect of winning a simple recruitment. This is, this is much, be, much more beyond that. Yeah. And, you know, he, he wasn't the, uh, the only Longhorn commit uh, that we got this week either. Uh, they've, they've actually had a, a pretty, pretty active week. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian shockingly went into California and, and landed another uh, really impressive athlete. Um, he'll have to forgive me if I mispronounce his name here, but I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how to pronounce it. I think it's Owen Carey, but it's it's spelled E-O-G-H-A, and I think it's Owen. It might be something else, but hey, you know, we're trying over here. Um, you've, you've got to kind of check him out a little bit since the commitment. I, I don't think you've seen him in person or anything like that, but uh, he's a big bodied linebacker. Um, and from what I hear, he's a pretty impressive athlete, but tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. Kelly is, is very interesting. You know, that modern day program is, I mean, my goodness, outside of IMG Academy uh, and maybe St. Thomas Aquinas, but maybe not. I mean, modern day is the school you want to try to develop something within. And Steve Sarkeesian has a connection there, right? He, he's obviously got a, a lot of uh, LA and in, in his, his upbringing, both as a player and as a coach, certainly. Uh, and his kids are, are still uh, playing ball out there as far as I know. Um, so I know that was a big deal when Bryce Young committed to Alabama um, out of modern day. That was something that that resonated with the Young family is that they knew the Sarkeesians for, for several years. Uh, so it doesn't hurt in that program to have a positive perception from your legendary coach to, to a big time college head coach. So I think that was important in this recruitment. But as a player, Kelly is, is really interesting because that modern day program is you're very well coached and they ask their linebackers to do a lot. There's a reason why we talked about a lot of SI 99 prospects coming out of that linebacker core from race John Davis last year to, to David Bailey this year, who was an SI 99 guy. Kelly was the third linebacker when modern day suited up this spring. And just like the other two, they ask him to come off the edge a lot. Uh, and when, when you do so at 6'3", 225, you put a lot of pressure on a high school offensive tackle. When you, when you couple that with 4'6", type speed and a good first step, now all of a sudden you're bringing something different to the table. So he's listed as a linebacker, but has a lot more edge experience to, than the naked eye would realize. 
And that speed really translates to power. So it makes him a strong finisher. It makes him harder to block because he can deliver the blow even against a bigger prospect like an offensive tackle. So I think the linebacker skills are, are TBD in terms of the classic ones coming downhill, filling the hole, redirecting, playing laterally, playing the underneath passing zones. But when you talk about rushing the passer, coming downhill or, or going on a straight line, A to B, there's a lot to like with Kelly. And again, he's coached up, his body is mature and physically developed. So at a minimum, you're getting a, a, a situational pass rusher who can play all your special teams and see the field physically as a freshman uh, in your conference, which, which I think is, is an overlooked aspect of recruiting evaluations. Cause we always want, we always talk about the ceiling, right? We talked about it with Malik Murphy. We talked about it with Bryce Anderson. We talk about the ceiling. We're saying those guys need time to get there. I think with Kelly, he's much closer to his ceiling, which makes his, his floor very strong. And at a minimum, you're getting a contributor who has a talent that is very valuable in terms of rushing the passer. When you look at, linebackers, I always ask, okay, on third down, what are you doing? It's one of three things. You're covering, you're rushing the passer, or your butt's coming off the field for a DB. And, and I think Kelly's the type of kid that could stay on the field and rush the passer. And that's a huge plus. Yeah. And you know, he, he's Texas's, uh, he was Texas's 16th commitment. Uh, you know, Lewis was a 17th commitment. So they're, they're, they're having a good uh, good few months you know they've they've gotten a lot of impressive prospects we already talked about Murphy we already talked about Blue you know we're talking about Lewis we're talking about Kerry we're talking about all these guys uh, but there's still plenty on the board for them to go after um, you know Denver Harris is, is still is still in contention Amari Abor, uh, Devin Campbell uh, we mentioned Cam Dewberry as well there's a few others what what is next for Texas on the recruiting trail who, who do you think is the guy or a couple of guys that uh, that could be the next um, domino to fall or just the guys that they could be targeting a little bit more than others to try and make sure that they lock down to kind of continue this momentum that they've built. Well, you mentioned a lot of great prospects. There are a lot of guys highly rated in the 99, highly rated at their positions, right? You know, Devin Campbell was, was our number one interior offensive lineman, uh, Evan Stewart, number two wide receiver, uh, slot receiver, I should say. Denver Harris, number one corner, uh, and they're all Texans. They're all Texans, uh, and I think that's where where you got to hit. You got to keep recruiting the state, and you need that perceptional victory. I think now that you've got Malik Murphy on board, um, and, and you're doing well to supplement him, Jaden Blue seems very solid with his commitment to the point that he's not playing this fall. And he's like, yeah, I'm just you know, next time you'll see me, I'll be in Austin, which is great for UT fans, but still interesting for us to evaluate. I think you need that big perceptional victory. So to me, that's Evan Stewart. That's the guy that when, when you when you brought in Steve Sarkeesian, you thought perceptionally, okay, Texas's quarterback recruiting is about to get better, which was a big need, right? That was a big, a big must-have. And then the secondary question or secondary perceptional assumption, I should say, was okay, we're gonna get faster on the outside, we're gonna get more polished on the outside. And when you talk about polish and speed that conversation really begins with Evan Stewart in this class of 2022. He was committed. He's extremely familiar. He was back on campus, I believe, for the uh, for the non-football, quote-unquote, recruiting event this past weekend. He's been to Austin, I believe, twice now since decommitting, at least twice. And it looks like his recruitment's going to last a little bit longer than maybe we expected. We thought 
He could maybe shut it down this summer. He was taking a bunch of visits. Florida has held a ton of buzz with this kid, but you know, you know, the Gators want to get him committed before he leaves campus. And it just hasn't happened yet. It, it, he's very close to Nick Evers, who's another Texan, who's a quarterback. Their family spent this whole weekend together two weekends ago. And it was just like, if the Gators are going to get this kid, it's going to be before he leaves campus. Well, he left campus uncommitted. And I think that was huge news for Texas, Alabama, LSU, everyone else in the Evan Stewart sweepstakes, but mainly Texas. To, to me, you want this kid to wait it out. The longer, the better, because you want that on-field product to start to develop if you're Texas. You want them to showcase the wide receiver position if you're Texas. And you want him to take in some of those games live. You know, it's been a couple of years since any recruit's been able to do that on a traditional basis. So you want him to sit with Sarkeesian, you know, an hour before kickoff to, to reemphasize how much of a priority he is. You want to stay in that race. So I think with Malik Murphy on board, the biggest perceptional win Texas could have outside of Arch Manning committing <laughs> a little earlier than we expect in the class of 23 is Evan Stewart being the cherry on top of this class of 2022. He's that good. He's that ready to make plays. I think he would be Texas's best receiving option the day he arrives on campus, should he sign with UT. That's the perceptional win. And we talked about it earlier, you know, kid who decommitted, getting him back in the fold. That is about as big as it could get um, from, from a perceptional standpoint, because that's so tangible. Like, hey, this guy committed to the previous staff. He decommitted, looked everywhere. Everybody wanted him. And we still found a way to reel him back in. And I think that would be just a huge momentous plant the flag moment for Texas in this recruiting cycle. So if I'm Sark and those guys, I'm all in on Stewart. Yeah, I've I've gotten the chance to watch Stewart a couple of times in these these seven on seven things in these these camps. And he he is one of the most physically impressive receivers that I've seen in a long time. Um I'm so you know, if I if I'm Texas fans, I am hoping and praying that that Sark can um can can lock him down and add him to the fold because look, you know Texas hasn't had a lot of uh you know a lot of great receivers in in the last you know since uh you know really since you know uh what was his name and now I'm forgetting uh, uh talking about the Shipley brothers. Well, there's the Shipley brothers, but he plays for uh, he plays for Jacksonville now. His name literally just slipped my mind. Uh, Colin Johnson, you know, Colin Johnson is is the last like, you know, really dominant receiver that they've had, and they're they're hoping that Troy O'Meary turns into something like that. But there's no one really on campus that really strikes the fear into people at the receiving position, and there hasn't been in in quite a while. Uh, I think probably Devin Duvernay was the last one, but he was more of a you know, uh, quick slot guy, just a reliable yeah. pass catcher. He wasn't the explosive kind of a gadget guy like Marquise Goodwin too. Right, right. And, you know, maybe Xavier Worthy will be that, you know, he's, he's a guy that's coming in Texas that people are really excited about. He's, he's gotten Deshaun Jackson comparisons uh, from, from a few different people, but you know, that's, that's conjecture. We, we know what we're, we're getting with Evan Stewart a little bit more, I think, just because of, of, of what we've seen of him on the field already, but, you know, speaking of, we're, we're going to kind of switch gears here, but like switch, speaking of uh, of those receivers and, and what Texas has on the field, 
what are some things that you're looking for for Texas to take care of during fall camp? What are your concerns with the program going into Steve Sarkeesian's first year in terms of on the field stuff? Well, you got to find your quarterback, right? I mean, I think that's that's the obvious um, plan and the obvious need. I, I think uh, those guys bring something different to the table. Card versus versus Casey Thompson. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see when he plans to name that guy because remember. Sark is coming up under the Saban tree, at least recently, right? And we've seen Saban kind of do the opposite. You know, the, the, the casual thinking is name your starter pretty early in camp so guys can kind of rally around him and you, and you kind of establish your culture through that guy, right? He is your physical manifestation of change, right? Ellinger's gone after 27 years as the quarterback. So how, how do you move forward? And th this first big decision is, is a really important one for everything. It's the table setter, the appetizer for all of the Texas buffet the rest of the way. But what Saban has done a few times is take that thing well into September. You go back to, to Jalen Hurts' freshman year, and they have, I think, Blake Barnett took the first snaps of the season um, Jalen Hurts got in that USC game and mind you, Bama's killing USC in this game. And they're still kind of rotating quarterbacks in Cooper Bateman, I think was in that race to try to figure out who the guy was. And of course it ended up being Jalen Hurts and everyone else transferred and they got Tua and the same thing happened the following year because Tua's freshman year, he wins the natty on the walk-off touchdown. And the next year it's like, well, is it Tua or Jalen? And everyone's kind of going back and forth and, and it's Tua but Saban never comes out and like says it before that season. Um, so I'm curious if Sark goes with the Saban route and lets everyone kind of digest on this thing into September, or you go conventional and you say, Hey, look, we need to, we need to name this kid in the next week to two to two weeks so that everyone can rally around him. The reporters can relax and everybody knows, Hey, Hudson card or Casey Thompson or someone else, maybe. You, you are the guy. This is your team. Let's ride. All gas, no brakes. Hook up all the, all the catchphrases and hashtags you want to use. Find your guy. When you name that guy, though, is so interesting to me because there's really pros and cons to both of those methods. Pro for naming the guy early. Everyone rallies around. There's no drama. You, you have a plan. You go with it, good, bad, or indifferent. You don't name the guy and... You talk about maybe split locker rooms, a lot more drama around it, but you have more time to make that very, 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 very critical decision, including maybe taking it into the season itself. So to me, everything starts and almost ends with, with that quarterback decision. It will, it will signal what you want your culture to be and what the beginning of your pursuit of that culture actually is. So, so to me, that's, that's really the, the entire storyline uh, going into camp and, and probably through camp is how Sark handles it. Not even necessarily picking the guy, how he handles it and, and when that becomes public information, I think is going to be just as fascinating. Yeah, and then, you know, Sark obviously went to the Nick Saban school for doing things for a couple of years to, <laughs> or for a little bit to get his career back, you know. To, to this point to where he is the the CEO of a new program. So you, you have to think that he's going to take a, a Saban-like approach to these kind of things going forward. Um, but in terms of those two quarterbacks, let's talk just a little bit about that, that battle before we close things out. 
you know, you got a chance to see Hudson card uh, in elite 11, not this year, but last year. Um, you know, he's obviously a very impressive passer. We all saw what Casey Thompson did in the Alamo bowl when Ellinger went down uh, just completely erasing the, uh, the, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes with those, with those, uh, with that impressive performance. So uh, I, I tend to think that, that just because of that on the field experience, uh, Thompson has the slight edge. Um, you know, he's, he's seen the college game before he knows the speed a little bit better, but Hudson card is not going to go away. He's an extremely talented passer and he comes from a great program in Lake Travis. Uh, how do you really see this thing shaking out in terms of that? Just, um, on the field battle between those two, because both of them have a legitimate claim to make, to, you know, claim the job. Right. I mean, a couple things here. First of all, yeah, Thompson did, did the damn thing in the bowl game, but it was one game and it wasn't this staff. So what do you, what do you even do with that? If you're, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, I'm sure you evaluated it. I'm sure he's dissected every single throw decision X, Y, Z, but what do you do with it? It wasn't your system. It wasn't anything you really had in place. So how do you even value or weigh what Thompson did, um, you know, with, with throwing for what, what, 200 yards and like four touchdowns or five touchdowns, whatever it was, um, how do you even evaluate that? Does that even give you the advantage that we think it does? I'm not, I'm not even sure what that does. But like you said, these two are very talented. They both have multiple years of eligibility potentially on the table. Uh, they're both big physical kids. Uh, I think both are semi-athletic to very athletic. So there's, a, there's some similarities uh, in these two guys' games that probably make this thing a little bit harder. This isn't this isn't picking Jalen Hurts or Tua Tingovailoa where the skill set is pretty much the opposite, right? Hurts, big, tough, uh, balanced cat who could throw the ball, make good decisions, really protect the football uh, as a passer and as a runner versus Tua, who's a gunslinger, let it rip, sit in the pocket with a little bit of athleticism if you need him to, but you don't really want him to kind of guy. I think there's a lot more similarities between Thompson and card both of them have strong arms i think card might be a tad more polished as a passer thompson's a good athlete too so is card i just think there's a lot more similarities that make this thing a little bit harder uh, and again like you said sark went to the saban school for decision making so maybe you take the thing as, as long as you can go and, and kind of just let the natural flow determine it a lot of these quarterback battles aren't even about the physical they're really about the mental and that's the part obviously that we have no true insight to to figure out you know we don't know how they're commanding a huddle we don't know how they're checking protections with the center and the offensive line we don't know how quickly they're getting through their progressions one versus the other we don't know who's more comfortable in the rpo game which is something sark values and utilizes a lot within his offense. Uh, we don't know who's better at checking the hot routes, identifying blitzes, all the things that make quarterbacking the hardest position to play on planet earth, we have no insight on. Um, so it almost erases the physical to a large degree, which again, going back to Bama, that's what made it so hard, right? Because Jalen Hurts was such a safe, classic Nick Saban quarterback, right? He's gonna do his job, it's not flashy, and he's tough, and he's going to protect the football. So many Saban, uh, really like Saban coaching points that he always preaches. 
But then Tua allows your offense to go to a level that it's never really gone to in an era where you have to score more than you've ever had to score. So obviously that outweighed the safe with Jalen Hurts. But with these guys, it's, it's not such a stark difference. So I think it makes it that much harder on top of not really knowing the different intangibles that each guy brings to the table. So you talk about fascinating. This may be the most important and critical quarterback race in the United States of college football. <laughs> so it, this is all about making that, that first big decision and, and going from there. And because look, the reality is if you, you start one of these guys over the other, let's say it's Thompson over card and Thompson starts playing well and the season starts drawing, drawing in. I mean, what do you think is going to happen in this day and age? Hudson Card's going to be like, well, I can go play at TCU or SMU or Tulsa or UTSA or wherever it is. Uh, and the portal all of a sudden, you know, always on your mind. You're always kind of looking over your shoulder as a coach thinking of the portal and roster management. So this decision not only has ramifications for the beginning of the 2021 season, but into the 2021 season and beyond, well beyond, given your quarterback room. So this thing is fascinating on so many levels. Yeah, and, you know, they're going to – assuming they – that, you know, that he takes the Nick Saban approach and he, he kind of takes this thing a little bit into September, you know, it's going to be interesting because they, they have uh, a pretty tough opponent coming in in week one, and it's not going to be a, a cakewalk for either guy. Uh, Louisiana is, you know, they're a dark horse for the college football playoff that is that, you know, one of those top group of five schools that, that is really going to make things tough on Steve Sarkeesian for his first game. So that'll be interesting to watch, but you know, uh, John, it's always great to have you on. Um, you know, we're going to make this a regular thing. I think you're going to be uh, very prevalent on the Longhorns Country podcast, but we uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, we're, we're up at SILAmerican.com, at SILAmerican through all social media, uh, all free information in college football and basketball recruiting, pretty transparent evaluations, uh, we cover the big commitments, uh, and we, we just released some new team rankings. So excited to dip back into that, because if July was any indication, kids are still going to be making big decisions throughout throughout August. So we'll have a, a big ranking update uh, at the beginning of September, right before the season kicks off. So a lot going on at siallamerican.com, and we hope you could check us out. All right. And, uh, you know, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we might be back again this weekend. It might be early next week, but we will be coming to you weekly. So keep an eye out, uh, like, write, and subscribe on all of your, uh, your favorite platforms. And we actually have a pretty big announcement here too. We just signed a contract to, uh, to join blue wire podcast and join that network. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about that one. Uh, I've been working with them for our Dallas Mavericks podcast as well. And it's a, it's a great company and uh, they're really going to try and help us take this thing to the next level. So um, anyway, yeah, just, you know, like rate and subscribe and, and we'll, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks.